1: April Vokey and you are listening to Anchored, my chance to speak with some of the most influential people involved in the outdoors today. Join me as I travel to sit face to face with my guests in their own homes to learn more about their careers, opinions, history, relationships, and life both indoors and out. You've probably seen Jeff Mueller's name printed below a thought-provoking essay somewhere in a magazine or industry publication, but what you may not realize is that Jeff's influence stems far beyond his own articles. Jeff began his career in BC's newspaper circuit before becoming a managing editor at Fly Fisherman magazine. In 2010, he took on a job with Tom Bai at the Drake magazine, where he is still working today. On this episode of Anchored, I sit down with Jeff to discuss pushing people's buttons, how he got involved in the industry, and if we're loving our rivers to death.
2: So I was born in Montreal.
1: Oh, Montreal.
2: Yes. I lived there until I was six and then moved out to Vancouver oh. and spent the next 20 years there.
1: You were there till you were 26?
2: Yeah, 27 actually.
1: Uh, see, I did not know that. I knew you were Canadian. Right. But I didn't know you were there for so long because I just associate, I just, to me, you're an American.
2: Right, right. But you're not. No. Well, I'm. I'm technically now through marriage. Right. You know, <laughs> my wife and I got married five years ago. Became an official American. Actually, just recently, within the last year, I got my citizenship. So, how old are you? I am forty.
1: Okay. So yeah, yeah over half forty this year. Over half your life in Canada. Yes. I'm assuming your parents moved to Vancouver and you went with them.
2: Yes, so they, they took me with them as a six-year-old. Thankfully, they didn't leave me in Montreal. <laughs> Congratulations, you're yes. doing something right. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, my dad, uh, he was a business guy. He worked in the aerospace industry, so he traveled a lot. He did a lot of work in Japan, uh, Malaysia. All over Asia, and uh, yeah, we had a great upbringing in Vancouver.
1: Did they ever try to snag him in Seattle? Uh, no. I mean, Boeing's there, right?
2: Boeing is in Seattle, yeah, yeah. But no, he stayed in Vancouver for you know, a good chunk of his career, and uh, actually, he ended up getting transferred to the States, uh, to New Jersey, when I was going into my first year of university at Simon Fraser in Burnby. And uh, I stayed, and the rest of the family with my younger brother, who's eight years younger, they all moved to Jersey. And I did not want to move to New Jersey. So. Yeah, why would you leave BC to go to Jersey? Exactly. Doesn't make much sense. No, no. Okay, so you
1: stayed behind. I did. Now, when I was looking at the things that you've done in your life, which is actually really impressive, by the way. Oh,
2: thank you. I
1: was really surprised to see that you went to SFU. It's a great school.
2: It is a great school.
1: So it's, what did you take? I took
2: communications. I took communications. At Simon Fraser, actually, I did my first year of university at Uvic. Oh, you were on the was, island. Yeah, I was on the island for a year, and uh, I ended up transferring over to SFU and finishing my communications degree there. I had to be closer to my friends in in Van, and mm-hmm. I had a girlfriend in Vancouver, so I was you know doing do the ferry it? commute from Vancouver Island, and it wasn't working out so yeah. well. So,
1: did were your parents French? Like, what was with the Montreal start?
2: They're not. I mean, they do speak French as you know a second language. They can get by, but they're Anglophones. So, I mean, they just grew up in Montreal. That's that's. Where oh, they
1: grew from. up in Montreal. Yeah,
2: my mom's family is still there. Her sisters and uh, you know, my parents are in upstate New York now, so they're close and they maintain those Montreal ties and mm-hmm. yeah, do a lot of back and forth. Did
1: Dad or Mom do any fishing in Quebec? Uh,
2: no, not to my knowledge. Um, fishing definitely came later. Okay. After the move to Vancouver.
1: For you or for the family?
2: Uh, for the family in general and for, I guess, yeah, for me as well. My dad was a total and still is boat nut. I mean, we were a boating family. We, oh. we owned sailboats and traveled all over the place. Gulf Islands, Desolation Sound, San Juan Islands. And so, yeah, I mean, all our family vacations revolved around small sailboats. Yeah, you know,
1: not how long would you go
2: yachts or anything? But. <laughs> right.
1: How long were you going out for together on these trips?
2: Ah, uh, typically, I don't know, like a week at a time.
1: Okay. Yeah, and you all. didn't kill each other?
2: Uh my brother and I tried to kill each other on several occasions. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're cooped up in a twenty-seven foot sailboat, and how things you, get pretty intense. Just
1: the two of you, or just the two of us? Okay. Wow. And what's yeah. the age difference? Oh, eight, eight years. Eight years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Eight. Yeah. You, you guys were even scrapping back then. I mean, eight years. Wouldn't you have been a lot older?
2: I was a lot older, but I was a mean older brother. And it's funny now because you know my brother lives in uh, in Portland, Oregon. He works for Intel, and he's much bigger than I am now. He's probably got like two <laughs> yeah. feet on me and can totally kick my ass. So it's all turn, it's all come around for sure.
1: Yeah. So yeah. where does the fishing come in? You guys are sailing. Are you seeing amazing fish fisheries?
2: Yeah, I mean, we are definitely fishing growing up, but more you know, not fly fishing in particular. You know, we were. Ocean fishing, mooching, and trolling for salmon, all that fun stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that was kind of my first introduction to fishing for sure. My dad had a partner in a couple of his boats, so he kind of moved on from sailboats to motorboats. And this guy, his name was Ron Vogue, and he was a big influence on my fishing. He was, his father was a commercial fisherman, and he was just a diehard angler. And he would come on a lot of our trips. We'd do trips with Ron.
1: Wait, the family and Ron?
2: No, typically like my dad. <laughs> so and my dad and Ron. <laughs> okay. <laughs> my mom was out on that one. Okay, got it. This guy was nuts. I mean, he would hook up on you know, a Chinook or a Coho. And I mean, he's the most soft-spoken, put-together guy and would just lose his mind. Just go ape shit. <laughs> yeah. And for me as you know, a young kid, you know, 10, 11, 12, it just blew my mind seeing this guy. Lose it. Yeah. <laughs> and and it was really cool. Like
1: it didn't scare you, but it intrigued you.
2: It absolutely intrigued me.
1: Okay. Yes. So now were you continuing to fish all throughout college or university?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I fished, you know, I had, I had a good crew of buddies in Vancouver and we fished together a ton, uh, you know, Squamish area, Squamish system. Okay. Steelheading? Not steelhead catching. You know, we, we chased the chum runs and whatnot.
1: For sure. Especially yeah, over there.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. So that was a lot of fun. Yeah.
1: And at this point you're thinking, well, like, what do you want to do for, like, what do you want to be when you grow up
2: at that right, point? Right. So probably not sure at that point. I mean, definitely trying to find myself in terms of what I want to do with my career and whatnot. After graduating from Simon Fraser, I scored a pretty awesome internship in Manhattan. Oh. So I ended up working in New York City for a year and a half for the Canadian consulate. Yeah, and so we were promoting Canadian acts, um, artists, bands, etc., coming into New York City, and we were kind of the marketing agency for these people. And one of my bosses there was a guy by the name of Peter Lloyd, And he was, you know, a big time journalist for the Toronto Star back in the day. Oh, cool. And I was really intrigued with the writing side of what we were doing, you know, promoting novelists and stuff coming into town. And uh, he kind of planted the seed in my head. We would spend a lot of time at the bars after work and talking about journalism. So when I finished my Canadian consulate deal, I went back to Vancouver and enrolled in the journalism program at Langara.
1: And were you snowboarding at this time? Yes. Do you know that you look like a snowboarder to me?
2: I d- I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, you just kind of have like a. I would have even if I didn't see your resume and things that you've done. I would have pegged you as a snowboarder.
2: So snowboarding, honestly, growing up was my number one. We lived at the base of Mount Seymour, and they had night skiing. So I mean, we would get off high school, you know, get out of get out of class, and our parents would tear us up the mountain, and we snowboarded our brains out.
1: Okay. And
2: spent a lot of time in Whistler, and yeah, I mean that was that was always. Always my, my thing.
1: Were you thinking that you should put it together with your writing? Was that a thing back then?
2: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And uh, I did a couple of, I don't know, I wrote some essays and whatnot in the snowboard world. But way before I did the journalism thing. So I don't okay. know, I don't think I'd piece it together at that time. uh, if you were
1: to read your first pieces now, would you just like cringe?
2: Oh my God. Yeah. I'd be so embarrassed. (laughs) (laughs) You would probably find it online somewhere and please don't. Okay.
1: Got it. I will not post the
2: link. (laughs) Right. I'm sure it was like some flowery essay about, you know, the essence of snowboarding and how in love I was with it. So Yeah. yeah.
1: What happened after you took all this journalism?
2: So yeah, I finished Langara. So that was a, you know, another, a relatively short program. It was about a year, year and a half. And, uh, They had recruiters come from a lot of the newspapers across British Columbia. And I ended up interviewing with a guy who ran a lot of the papers from management side in uh, central BC, in the interior. And my first job was through this guy, and it was at the Castlegar News. Castlegar? In Castlegar, yes. So close to trail.
1: I was going to say, so that you got the Columbia there.
2: Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Yeah, so the Canadian side of the Columbia and which as you well know is a phenomenal trout fishery. Big time. And I, you know, I didn't really know this going into it. So I kind of stumbled upon this amazing backyard in Castlegar and that is where I really really, you know, just got enamored with fly fishing. It just Blew me away. Was it overwhelming for
1: you? It's such a big river compared to the rivers in in the lower mainland.
2: It is a massive system up there. I mean, it flows at, you know, 12 to 20,000 CFS, mm-hmm. big water. And I ended up buying a 12-foot piece of crap aluminum car topper that had like a 10 horsepower, you know, two-stroke 1970s era Johnson <laughs> it on the back. perfect. Yeah, yeah total POS, <laughs> but I mean it was perfect for that system. I would, you know, go out there and float around in this in this boat and yeah, I mean, it was it was a, a really neat time in my life. Actually, it was really cool.
1: So you snowboarded in the winter and you fished in the summer. Yes. It seems like a lot of my pe- the people I know who snowboard and ski really spent their summers fishing. Yeah. Why though? I mean, I, like Eric Jackson's a good friend of mine and he's right. just obsessed with that. You've obviously worked with him, right? Right.
2: I was just on the phone with Eric the other day working on the story with those guys right Wh- now. What
1: is the parallel? I do not know how to snowboard or ski, I'm tragic up there. Right. So what is the parallel? Of, of what's the connection to you guys? Not not to you and Eric, but to you know, snowboarding and fishing.
2: I feel like they're also intertwined, obviously. And I mean talking to a guy like Eric, it's really finding that balance in his life. And, you know, it's the same for me to a large degree, but I mean, even more so with those guys on the snowboarding side where they're, you know, dropping massive cliffs, super high adrenaline, super high risk stuff. And they got to get off the mountain and they want to decompress and go steelheading.
1: Oh, so it's like a yin and 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 yang sort of thing?
2: Absolutely. Totally yin and yang type thing.
1: Is that what it is for you? Or is that what it was for you?
2: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For okay. sure. Yeah, the, I feel like the two complement each other amazingly. And I think a lot of these ski towns, too, typically have phenomenal fishing close by. Right. I mean, for Andy Miller, I'm you know, it's Aspen, right? Yeah. I mean, you've got the Roaring Fork River right there, and, you know, Whistler, you've got the Chacomis right there. And, I mean, they're so, they're so intertwined.
1: Yeah, I guess if you don't want to get off the mountain yet, but you have to get off the mountain, it's just the perfect compromise.
2: Absolutely. So let's yeah. get back
1: to your timeline. What happens in Castlegar?
2: So in Castlegar, yes, um, I'm a general assignment, like jack-of-all-trades reporter. Um, a
1: reporter?
2: A reporter, yes. Voice recorder, in-your-face, um, interviewing everyone and anyone. I mean, we covered, we were a two-man editorial operation. So it was myself and my editor, Dale West, who was a total badass, super phenomenal guy, uh, great mentor back in the day. But yeah, we would cover school board meetings, um, Hospital strikes, (laughs) uh, a lot of sports. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously hockey, junior B hockey was huge in these, you know, small interior towns. And, uh, you know, the hockey players were like the rock stars in the town. So we would spent a lot of time, a lot of time on the rink hanging with those guys. And it was (laughs) a lot of fun. I was there for a couple years. And like I was saying earlier, you know, at the time I was really discovering, you know, trout fishing on a five weight fly rod, totally different than. What I'd been doing back in Vancouver, and falling in love with this sport, and I also started writing a fishing column for for the Castlegar News, for the paper. And generally, I you know school board and whatnot was pretty dry, mm-hmm. and I was definitely far more intrigued with the fishing side and the sports side. And I ended up becoming a sports editor and graduated from Castlegar newspaper to the newspaper in Kamloops.
1: Oh, okay. Can't so that would week. be a bigger paper.
2: Bigger paper, bigger audience. Yeah.
1: So at that point, are you thinking, I'm going to be a reporter for the rest of my life?
2: Yeah. I mean, I was definitely enjoying the newspaper gig. It's not like it was a huge financial boon or anything like that, <laughs> right. but it was a lot of fun. I mean, you get to meet a lot of fascinating people. You're out on the street. Um, you really feel like you're involved in the community, which I loved all of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I didn't really know. I mean, again, you know, I was still very into fishing at that point in time, and I hooked up with Brian Chan actually in Kamloops.
1: And oh, who's just like anyone who has not heard of Brian Chan, you must know he is a superstar in BC. He is
2: he is awesome. The
1: most fishy, like, as he's a biologist, and if you want to talk entomology and bugs and trout behavior and triploids, I mean Brian Chan is your guy. Absolutely. We need to get him on the show. What were you doing with him?
2: Well, we were fishing chronomids, Brian Chan style. Thank so, you for
1: pronouncing it properly. Right? I really appreciate that. Yes. No
2: problem. My pleasure. So, I mean, he kind of took me under his wing there, and I still had the uh, aluminum car topper that I'm towing behind the Tacoma, and, you know, just started getting really into the whole lake fishing scene, you know. The lake, the plethora of lakes around Kamloops is insane. It is, yeah. And you also have the Thompson, which is awesome too. Did you so, fish
1: the Thompson for a steelhead or were you just limited to trout at that time?
2: I did not fish the Thompson for steelhead at that time, which I totally regret now being a total steelhead addict. But, you know, I've gone and back uh, and fished the Thompson. The Thompson has like 200 fish left in it. Yeah, and now I might not be going back again. <laughs> so right. it's such a sad story, the Thompson. What? Well, so,
1: what was in it for? Like, why was Brian willing to fish with you? Because he's a really private, very quiet guy.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. He. Uh, Are you he just saying
1: have, you're likable, Jeff? Is he, he, that what you're saying? Maybe he must have <laughs> saw
2: something in me. He's like, you know, this poor kid flailing around out there or something. And uh, yeah, we kind of just hit it off.
1: That's so cool. Yeah, I've very actually cool. gone
2: back to visit him. You know, not too recently, but within the last five years or so, and it's just yeah. Brian's awesome. Yeah,
1: that's really special. Yeah. Okay. Now, he was working in fisheries for a living at the time, yeah, I would imagine. he was working for the government. At the, yeah. At mm-hmm. that point, were you thinking, hmm, maybe maybe that's something I'd be interested in doing?
2: Absolutely. I mean, that would have been something, you know, you know, any sort of job in fisheries would be really cool. I don't have a biology background, but, you know, as far as, like, marketing and communications go, it, you know, it could have been a good fit, and it's definitely something I've looked at and explored. But... You know, serendipitously, um, I'm writing the fishing column, and a job comes up at Fly Fisherman Magazine in Pennsylvania.
1: Oh, okay.
2: And I'd been in contact with Ross Purnell there, who's you know, still their editor.
1: Was he their editor at the time? He was. Okay.
2: Yeah, yeah. Him, I'm just trying and, to, get and to get John, the timeline. Him and John Randall.
1: Yeah. When did he take over for John?
2: Um, probably within the last five or six years. Um, okay. Was yeah. this
1: before he had become the
2: like, editor? In,
1: what is he? The editor in chief?
2: Editor in chief. I think he's even got a publisher on his title now. Yeah. So this is yeah. before then. Yes.
1: Because this would have been more than five or six years ago, for sure.
2: Yeah, you're right. I want to say John Randolph probably retired around ten years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, more like eight or ten years ago.
1: Okay, so you, this was this would have been about then. Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. So and I had asked Ross about the job position of course, and you know, I'd send him a couple of my fishing columns, and I was wondering if he'd be potentially interested in hi- hiring this Canadian.
1: Well, he's Canadian, too. Well, that's
2: the thing. <laughs> so he's like, well, as a matter of fact, I'm from Calgary. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we've gone through the process of hiring Canadians here at the magazine, and they had a, you know, Fly Fisherman was quite big at the time. They had an HR department and all that fun stuff. And, uh, yeah, they flew me down for an interview, and we kind of all hit it off. And I moved to Pennsylvania. Wow. From that is such to Harrisburg, a Pennsylvania. Big change. Huge change. yeah. What, what
1: was your role? What were you called?
2: Uh, I was an associate editor okay. coming in, so like, you know, lowest rung on the ladder as far as editorial goes. But you know, it was great to get my feet wet there and uh yeah, I mean awesome opportunity.
1: How long were you there for?
2: I didn't last that long. <laughs> <laughs> I know. What happened? Well honestly, I mean it was the move for me was really tough. I really missed Vancouver, um, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. You know, my personal opinion opinions have like, <laughs> the same kind of fishing opportunities that I was used to back home. You know, yeah. steelhead, salmon, it's trout and whatnot. And uh, yeah, I ended up being there for about two years. Okay. Yeah, two years. While I was at, so I don't know if you want to hear that whole story. I want
1: to hear everything, yeah.
2: During that time, there was a lot of media trips going on and whatnot in the industry. Um, Oakley was a big player, for instance. Mm. Not so much a big player right now. But uh, you know they'd have put on these media boondoggles, and we'd go out to you know, Ascension Bay or something. And on one particular trip, we went to Pescamaya. I don't know if you've been there. It's awesome. And uh, you know, it was a permit fishery, great permit fishery, bonefish, small bonefish, tarpon, etc., but anyways, it was a huge huge media crew. I mean, a, a lot of people from the industry and I met Tom by on that trip. And he and I really hit it off. Mm-hmm. And so we'd been kind of, you know, talking about if, you know, if you were ever going to leave Pennsylvania, there could be a position for you at the Drake Magazine. Would you be interested? And uh I, you know, Fly Fisherman and Drake are such a stark contrast between the <laughs> totally. two. Yeah. And uh, you know, I was very intrigued by what the Drake was doing. I mean, it was really different from everything else in the totally industry. Totally
1: cutting edge. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: It was a disruptor. <laughs>
1: so, <laughs> it was.
2: So I was intrigued by that opportunity. And uh, when I left Fly Fisherman, I moved to Colorado and came to work for
1: Tom. Were there any hard feelings there?
2: No. No. I mean, honestly, Ross was so awesome. You know, he's a great guy. and uh Really helped me out in my career early on, and uh, yeah, we're friends right now. You know, I just saw him the other day. There's no animosity there, or any hard feelings.
1: Yeah. yeah. Now, when you were working a fly fisherman, was it an office job? Did you go in every day to an office and sit down?
2: Totally. Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, polo shirts, office job. Uh, you know, very corporate, I guess, compared to the Drake. For sure. <laughs> right. So,
1: what was the contrast? I mean, obviously, so Drake, the Drake was Colorado.
2: Yeah, so the Drake at that time was uh, located in Fort Collins. Was it Colorado. being run
1: out of Tom's basement?
2: Pretty much. It, <laughs> okay. Yeah, it was. No, I
1: haven't had Tom on the show yet, so I, I don't know all the history. But I just remember when I first heard about the Drake, it was like, "Yeah, he runs it out of his basement," and I'm going, "Who is this? What is this magazine?" You know, it says, "What does it say on the cover? Five dollars and then ten dollars for bait fishermen or something?" Yeah. Right,
2: yeah. which <laughs> Gets people all the time at Barnes and Noble, but yeah. So I mean, it, it wasn't technically out of his basement. We did have an office. Um, it was attached to a laundromat and uh, a pot shop, which was you know super convenient. Totally Drake. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, kind of a kind of a night and day office experience compared to what I was used to. Was in the pay the same? Were
1: you getting paid the same?
2: Uh yeah, it was similar.
1: Okay. Okay. All right. So it made sense for you to do this yeah. at that point.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. It, it okay. totally made sense, and uh, you know, I, I'm still a Canadian at the time too. Uh, at Five Fisherman. I was working on a, a visa, an H-1B visa, right? And Tom was able to keep me in America, so I'm forever, ever grateful to Tom for that. Thank you, Tom. Bye.
1: And your role there was
2: associate ed- editor. Very similar, yeah. You know, associate editor, and you know, as you know, the Drake's a pretty small shop, and mm-hmm. it is to this day. It was
1: just the two of you guys, right? Plus uh, other writers, obviously. Yeah, yeah,
2: plus a ton of contributors. But yeah, it was Tom and myself and uh, a guy by the name of Tanner Irwin who was helping us part-time on the design front. And Tanner's now big time in San Francisco. So,
1: What's he doing there?
2: Uh, doing Apple campaigns. And, oh. oh, is that all? Yeah. Maybe, <laughs> okay, got it. Maybe you've heard of Apple. I don't
1: know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, what about Powder Magazine? Where does that come into play here?
2: So, I mean... Tom's background is at Powder. That's definitely an interesting part of the whole puzzle. He was an editor there forever. And I mean, Tom's worked at a ton of cool magazines, but Tom started the Drake magazine while he was working at Powder.
1: Okay. So all of the snowboarding work that you've done, is that, are you writing articles in snowboarding magazines or are you just creating advertisements and and writing copy for companies that are advertising? in those magazines
2: so my most of my work in the snowboard world has been with Burton and uh, it's consumer facing marketing catalog copy totally different than the editorial work I do on the fishing right. side which is another kind of neat thing as far as you know finding the whole balance
1: let's get there so you work, start working at the magazine you're, you're writing obviously right. are you editing as well? I would yes. assume. So you and Tom are editing all
2: those pieces. We are.
1: Who edited my piece recently in the issue I'm looking at?
2: Uh, it would have gone through Tom and myself.
1: You guys are absolutely fantastic editors.
2: Wow, thank you. I
1: am so picky. you know, I'll go through, and I'll be like, why did why did so and so Put a comma there. Why, why a semicolon? And I went through your guys' changes, and I went, yeah, I agree. Yes, I agree. Ooh, good idea. Good call. I was very, very impressed. Because I don't know. You guys are young. You're part of such a hip magazine. I'm thinking, can they really write? Right. How talented are these guys?
2: You know, you got to say, Tom is a brilliant editor. Mm, I see that. Yeah. You know, he's been doing it for a long time. He really, really knows his stuff. And he's helped me immensely over the years, fine-tune my writing,
1: Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Where do you start, or why do you start thinking I need to work for other companies like Burton and and I mean even Sims? We'll talk about your resume later. But were you needing to make more money? Is that how it started?
2: Yeah, that's definitely part of it. I mean, honestly, there's not, <laughs> as you maybe know, there's not a ton of money in the fly fishing editorial side. Mm-hmm. And you know, we're, we're a quarterly magazine, so it's not. I mean, it's full time when it's full time. There's also a lot of downtime too. Yeah. So I mean, there's time to take on some other projects and challenge myself in other ways. And you know, the freelance writing for companies has been that avenue for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To get okay. out, get out there and do something different. And yeah, find the yin to that yang. Yeah. <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> Would you
1: mind just giving my listener a rundown on some of the companies you do write copy for and, and put together advertisements for?
2: Yeah. I mean, I do. S- some work in the fly fishing world. Obviously, um, I've done, worked with Sims for on past campaigns. Um, some stuff for Scott recently. Da Vinci Mountain Bikes has been one of my longtime clients, and they're a Canadian company based mm-hmm. out of Quebec. And they have a phenomenal downhill mountain biking racing team. So I've done everything from catalog copy to rider profiles to a lot of you know, even editorial. You know. Literary type writing in the mountain bike world for pinkbike.com and anything that DaVinci brands and puts out there and needs help with their English speaking <laughs> writing. So, <laughs> yeah. so they're, yeah, they've been a big client. Um, I've worked with Burton Snowboards for several years. And uh, gosh, I mean, it's, it's a long list.
1: You did very kindly send me your, what would I call it, res- resume portfolio. portfolio? Yeah. But I noticed that right at the top of it, you know, under your name, it says Provoker. I find that you. Provoke, well, then thank you. Well, you're welcome. I mean, a lot of people are like, what do you mean by provoke? I mean, you make people think, and I feel like you like to poke people and, and poke situations a bit. Can you talk to me a little bit about why that is? Why do you like to make people squirm or make people really think in an advertisement
2: or article? I think it's, it's important. I mean, there's a lot of soft journalism out there. This kind of like bloodless writing. I mean, especially in the fly fishing world, everyone is catering to everyone else, scratching each other's backs, and that is the one thing that I've always loved about the Drake. We don't necessarily do that. You know, we want to get to the heart of the story. We want it to be honest. We want it to be authentic, and that's that's really the Drake is a great platform for that.
1: Mm -hmm. Now, you do a lot of investigative journalism. Tom really does put a lot of work into his investigations. What do you guys do when? I mean, do you ever get faced with legal battles where you publish something and you realize maybe we haven't done the work?
2: Oh, what do we do now? I mean, knock on wood, we haven't had any legal battles to contend with uh, as of yet. But uh, I, mean, I mean, that's the whole part of it is on a story like the Fly Fishing Collaborative, for instance, is doing your due diligence, making sure you've, you know, for cliche, dotted your I's and crossed all your T's. I mean, you really have to be careful and you know, I think Tom did a phenomenal job with that piece. He went as far as flying to Belize and you know, touring the operations and whatnot and speaking to everyone and anyone. And it's, it's an exhaustive process. It
1: is. I know Bucky just, I have to say, Bucky you know, made it very clear, he only spoke to Tom for like 20 minutes. So okay. I think that Tom needs to do a follow-up piece. But I know when I read the article, I, I mean, there was so much research there. Or One time you guys wrote an article about you know Donnie Beaver. The mm-hmm. amount of research that goes into that, or what was the other one that I read, um what was the fly company? I don't was. It Idle Idle Wild. Yeah, right. you guys exact put a lot runs. of time into that, right. Um, that's a really big deal. that That's more than just soft, mushy writing, and it's hard writing because you got people saying to you, guys, oh, you're trying to to divide the fly fishing community. Right. It's not good for anybody. But you know, it is good because it keeps people on their toes,
2: right. And I think people need to be on their toes, and I think our readers appreciate that.
1: Do you guys get a lot of people poking at you, and how do you handle
0: it? Yeah,
2: I mean, absolutely. We get, we get all sorts of hate mail.
0: <laughs>
2: I don't know. It's, it's, it's entertaining to a degree. And I think when you get that kind of reaction, you're, you're doing your job right. You can't cater to everyone. Not everyone's going to love what you write. You're going to piss people off. And but do you that's try, all part of it. No. To try
1: to piss people off?
2: No. I used no. to read
1: stuff you guys wrote up at me, and I'd be like, you know what? They're trying to piss me
2: off for sure.
1: Because I think that, and Tom and I have had so many battles on the internet. I mean, at this point now, I think we're yeah, cool. Yeah,
2: you, you and Tom have some history. We do. <laughs> but, you know, I mean,
1: we're like, why, the, why are you poking at me like this? And he's like, well, why not? You know, you should just find it entertaining. So I always wonder how you guys handle that. Um, do you find that you get people upset? Or do you guys, I mean, is that your answer to everyone you piss off? Do you just say, ah, oh, you know, find, find the entertainment in it?
2: Right. I know. I mean, honestly, like we, we do get people upset and I mean, that can be unfortunate sometimes, but like I said, it's part of it. And I think, you know, poking at you.
1: It really actually, in retrospect, wasn't that offensive. It was rather funny. Right. So how much of, of your guys' content is just surely, you know, like we call it taking the piss Right. versus actually trying to be, you know, offensive?
2: No, I think typically we're not trying to offend, but like you said, trying to be funny. Humor is one of the... Hardest things. I mean, we'll we'll write satirical pieces, and (laughs) satire oftentimes goes way over people's heads. They take it completely literally.
1: Is it showing through in sales? How are the Drake sales?
2: Um, Drake's Drake's healthy. Yeah, it's got phenomenal support from the industry, and we've been incredibly fortunate because you know a lot of magazines aren't yeah aren't doing as well as they were maybe after a river runs through it in the you know '90s and the heyday and all that, but. The Drake has has done phenomenally well, which is which is awesome.
1: Let's get back to the timeline then. Does that, has that caught us up to where we're at today? You're
2: yeah, essentially. So I've been in Fort Collins for seven years now. The magazine headquarters have since moved from Fort Collins to Denver. Mm-hmm. So we have an office in Denver. We're we're big time now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> totally kidding. Um, but yeah, so you know I I commute to. To Denver once in a while to do some copy editing and mostly work out of my home office.
1: Okay, are you fishing yeah. at all anymore?
2: I, yeah, I still fish a ton.
1: Is that all through the magazine? Uh huh.
2: It's not all through the magazine. The magazine kind of points me toward a lot of fishing, maybe I wouldn't do otherwise, which is really cool, you know, for story specific articles. Uh, and on my own time, I steelhead as much as possible. That is, that's my thing. So. so you must be traveling
1: to, back to Canada?
2: Yeah, I do I do an annual trip to northern BC.
1: One annual trip. Well, I did. And that's where I saw you last, actually, I think.
2: Yeah, I did two this year, actually.
1: Why don't you just go back? Can't you work remote?
2: I Yeah, I can work from anywhere. Yeah. I mean, that is the brilliance of the, you know, internet, Wi-Fi age we're into. As long as I have an inter- internet connection, I can work anywhere.
1: Have you thought about going back?
2: I have thought about going back. So what's but, stopping you? Well, we have a, a son in high school. Oh, My oh wife wait, and I, what? Hold oh. on,
1: Stop. <laughs> In high school?
2: (laughs) Going into high school this year, yes. So 12, what? Yes.
1: 15? You do. I did not know that. Hold on, back it up. So you're doing all of this and you're raising a child. Was that kind of stressful? Because I mean, you have to really hustle for some money in this, in that field, especially in print.
2: Well, we should backtrack a little bit. Yeah, go for it. So I met my wife, Kat, five years ago in Fort Collins and, uh, Sam is her son from a previous marriage, so I became an instant stepdad
1: wow. when we got
2: married, which has been a crazy life-altering experience for me. <laughs> no kidding.
1: Is his biological father still around?
2: He is. He is actually in Fort Collins, too. We are practically neighbors. Okay. And so it's it's awesome. Everyone everyone gets along, and I mean, it's as awesome as it can be in that kind of situation. Yeah. Does, yeah. Sam,
1: does Sam fish?
2: Sam does fish. Before you? Uh, or after you? No. Well... No, he's been he's been into it since he's he had a rod when we first met. So I mean, he wasn't crazy into fishing, but yeah, he's he's getting after it, and he's getting really good. It's impressive.
1: Okay, so you no. guys can't be leaving anytime soon.
2: No, no. Sam's got to graduate from high school, and we'll see where he goes. And then yeah, then sky's the limit. Who knows? Maybe we'll move to Terrace or something or Smithers. <laughs> <laughs> Just <laughs> stay out of my water. Want to go. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> it's, it's, and what I about
1: Cat? Where does she want to be?
2: Ah. Uh, you know, we we do love Colorado. We love Fort Collins. It's a super fun town. It's a great fly fishing community. It's really young. It's vibrant. Phenomenal fly shop, St. Peter's in town there. Those guys, those are guys I was hanging out with last night. So I don't know. We we could end up staying in Colorado, but I don't know we like Montana a lot. My in-laws live in Montana. Mm-hmm. They live on the Bighorn River. And yeah, Bozeman would be cool, but I would love to be closer to the ocean.
1: Now, what about your responsibility, you know, working in the industry and working in print and, and, you know, online, uh, your responsibility for keeping the rivers from being overcrowded? Do you feel a responsibility to not divulge spots?
2: Oh my God, yes. This is something that's, you know, really hits home. Um, It's it's like you're walking this tightrope, right? Because you're a magazine, you want to grow readership. Everyone in the industry wants to grow the sport, but as a fisherman, as someone, you know, who loves being on the water, it's kind of an opposite, it really is an opposite viewpoint. Um, I don't want to see the rivers overcrowded. I don't want to see a, bu- a bunch of people chomping around on the water where I find my solace and, you know, I can get away from it all. So, it, yeah, it's definitely, it's, it's a fine line, and it's, it's something I've Struggle with for sure.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, remember you were going to write a piece about that about you know are we promoting fishing too much? Are we loving it too much? Are we loving it to death? Right. Did you ever publish that piece?
2: Uh, no, it's something I'm still working on.
1: Why is it? Are you finding it's a real tightrope? <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, it is. It is. is. Have yeah,
1: you ever battled with your own integrity? Um, I mean, are you not writing it because you don't want to piss people off, or do you feel hypocritical? Like, why is it taking you so long to write this article?
2: Well, let me tell you something. So. The nice thing about The Drake is we are not a where-to, how-to magazine. This is why I work for The Drake. I want to write about the places, the essence of places. I don't want to write about how to get to a place. Like, here's the directions. Um, I enjoy writing about people, people profiles, but I don't enjoy writing a how-to on tying knots. So, I mean, that is what's awesome about The Drake, truly. So uh, integrity-wise, I don't have to struggle with that because we're not hot-spotting in that magazine.
1: Thank but, you. you know, so let's talk about your personal feeling. You, don't, you know, you don't have to put it in writing uh, here. You can just say it. How do you feel? Do you feel like we use it as an excuse saying, oh, you know, I don't mind being public about it because we're getting people into the sport. We're advocates because the more people who fish it, the more people care about it. Do you That's you think the that's standard just,
2: argument. It's the
1: standard argument. Do right. you think it's getting wishy-washy now? Because there are, I mean... There are a lot of people fishing these days.
2: Right. Um, I think there is some teeth to that argument. I mean, especially in the steelhead world where, you know, back to the Thompson where return numbers had dwindled down to 200 fish. Mm-hmm. We need people to speak up for those fisheries, you know, in order to enact any sort of change. That is important. And, you know, I feel like on a lot of our steelhead rivers, comparatively speaking, they don't feel as overcrowded to me. I, you know, I get that crowding sensation when I'm on like a tailwater in Montana or something. On you know, the Bighorn, there's a lot of people on that river. But there's also a lot of fish spread around. On the steelhead rivers, fewer fish. Um, yeah, I don't know. There, there is some overcrowding on certain systems.
1: Well, when you're doing your research for the article, because I know you will have done your research, are you finding that license sales have actually dropped compared to what they were in the 70s and 80s? Um,
2: I haven't looked at license specifically, um, I imagine it varies from state to state, from fishery to fishery.
1: Yeah, no, it does.
2: Uh, yeah, big it's, time.
1: It, it's interesting. I had Bob Hooten on the show a few days ago, and he was saying, you know, in the 70s and 80s, it was actually a lot busier than it is now, which is hard for me to believe. But he's saying, we also had more fish, and we weren't as efficient with our methods. Right. And with our gear, of course. Right. So, I mean, that might be something to take into consideration as well.
2: Yeah, that's super interesting.
1: But have you found that the rivers have gotten busier since you've been around these parts?
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, I look at the Olympic Peninsula as an example of a relatively busy system. You know, there's a lot of guide boats out there. There's a lot of bank anglers. And since the Puget Sound fisheries collapsed, it's it's a bit of a shit show, you know, to be honest. So, yeah, you know, definitely, like we were saying, specific systems, you see it. So in a system, and you feel it.
1: well, let's talk specifically about the OP then. Sure. Do you think it would be better to have anglers maybe give themselves a cap, so you know catch one or two fish and then go home, or do you think it would be better to have them fish dry fly only, or do you think that they should spread out and go explore other smaller rivers with fewer fish?
2: Right. Um, I think asking them to spread out and explore other rivers is is nice, but. I don't know, that's asking people to do something. Um, Regulations, you know, to your first point, make sense. Absolutely.
1: Do you think that that's something that, I mean, would you, if someone said to you, look, you're traveling all the way from here, as, you know, say you're going to the OP, you have to only catch two fish and go home, what would you say?
2: Uh, I would say I'm all on board with that. You would? I would. Yes, absolutely.
1: Okay. Well, that's. I would be refreshing. really
2: stoked if I caught two fish a day in the OP. I mean, <laughs> no that's kidding. that's a phenomenal day. What about I'm ready in to Terrace? Go back to the bar and party. Right.
1: What about in the Skeena? Though <laughs> you know you travel all that way. It's your one week. You know your dad. Right. You don't have that much time. There's summer runs steelhead, so it's more likely you're going to catch more than one or two. Uh, what do you say then?
2: I say the same thing. These steelhead are so important, and we really. I mean, they need to be given a break. They need to do their thing and too much angler pressure. I mean, that's the one thing we can do.
1: Is just stop.
2: Or, yeah, After just, we've
1: caught our amount of fish.
2: Right. I mean, it's, yeah.
1: And if they said to you that we need to just shut down the fisheries entirely and your livelihood might go down the drain, what would you say?
2: Well, I would say... Besides you know, that sucks. Yeah, that totally sucks. I'm devastated, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, if that's what you got to do, that's what you got to do, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. So what are you Ta- doing? Take
2: up another activity. Right, well, yeah, <laughs> right? you do
1: have other options. I mean,
2: fly fishing, is, it's so ridiculous. So, you know, we're not saving the world or anything. It's, <laughs> yeah. We're essentially pleasuring ourselves. You know, it's this super fun. It's beautiful. It's poetic. But I mean, it's, it's a silly thing. So I love it. <laughs> What's your big
1: conservation cause? What are you doing now today to um, do something better?
2: Definitely, you know, I, I take conservation seriously. And uh, my best tool to do anything on that front is through the written word. So I also, you know, I support the Wild Steelhead Coalition. They're good friends of mine. Anything I can do to help those guys on the writing front, I just, you know put it out there, if there's anything I can do to help.
1: What's your definition of conservationist? Does a conservationist need to go to all the political meetings? Or does a conservationist just use a platform where they can? Like, what's your definition of that?
2: I feel as a writer, as a journalist, it's part of my responsibility to preach a little bit of conservation in the mix. Um, It's important for us to convey those messages and, you know, do the good work on the conservation side because our fisheries need it. Uh, as far as definition of a conservationist, I'm kind of with you. I, I don't consider myself—you know—I'm not a fisheries biologist. I'm not an expert on these topics. I know people who are—you know, like a, you know John McMillan, who you've spoken to. Mm-hmm. These guys are you know real die in the wool conservationists. They know their stuff, and they're acting. And uh, yeah, I applaud those guys and want to help promote their work yeah. through my writing.
1: Well, you're doing that. Thank you. Um, moving forward, what's next for you?
2: What's next for me? Uh, Well, so a couple days of trade show here in Orlando, (laughs) obviously. Yes, we have the the Drake Film Awards tonight, which is always a fun party. So yeah, we're going to tear it up and get rowdy.
1: What is the deal with that? So you guys take different films that have been made... And you put them into a big award show, is that right?
2: Yeah, it's kind of like the, the Oscars or like <laughs> golden gloves of, <laughs> yeah, of fly fishing. <laughs> yeah. no. But that's, that's exactly what we, what we do. We take the best of the best from the year and uh, we put together a little award show and yeah, drink some beer, have a good time.
1: Okay, so that's next for you. Anything in the long term future?
2: Uh, long term future, I'm gonna go back home and spend some quality time with the family, do some fishing this summer and some camping and uh yeah you know back to the grind we've got magazines to churn out we got the fall issue we're working on right now so yeah i'm going to be doing a lot of interviewing and editing and writing uh yeah i'm looking forward to steelhead season
1: and i'll see you up there this fall
2: you will see me up there this fall i should be on the deschutes this summer okay for some summer run action and yeah i'm gonna be i'm gonna be getting around
1: all right yeah jeff is there anything that you would like to add or ask me
2: Uh, No, I think I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. It's (laughs) been an honor. I really appreciate it. Yeah, (laughs) it's been a lot of fun.
1: Thank you. And that concludes this episode of Anchored. Thank you for listening.